and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. Uh, listen, in one of the great chapters of, in the Bible, the book of James chapter 2, it's a favorite of the LDS because in it, it talks about faith without works being dead. Uh, there are so many things in the chapter, but I'm really just going to cover the last few verses. The works, faith without works is dead. The works are works of love. And the works of love are the fruits of the Spirit that are manifested in believers as the Holy Spirit comes in and changes their life. So those works are works of patience, works of long-suffering, works of uh, temperance, all the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Scripture. The reason we know that it's talking about love is because of what two examples that James uses in James chapter 2 to describe what he's talking about. All right, so he talks about faith without love is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, I have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without thy works and I will show you my faith by my works. Another way to read that is, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith and I have love. Show me thy faith without thy love and I will show you my faith by my love. Any place in James chapter two where it says works, you can put love because that is the ultimate work that Christians do, works of love. Now, what kind of love? Do we do works of erotic love? Well, some of us think we do. Or uh, a philos love, or storge love, all those Greek loves. No, we do agape love, the love of God, the love that Jesus showed when he was on the cross, forgiveness, long-suffering, patience, suffering, all those things, right? So the writer, uh, James, he gives two examples. Now, Jesus said, upon this hang all the law and the prophets. Upon what? Loving your neighbor. Loving God, loving your neighbor. Upon love hangs all the law and the prophets. So James teaches us how we know he's talking about love here, works of love. He does it by giving us two examples. You ready? He says, speaking of likewise, he says, was also not Rahab the harlot justified by works? Take works out, put love. Was not Rahab the harlot justified by love? When she had received the messengers and sent them out of another way. Well, what's that talking about? Rahab the harlot was not part of the, of the nation of Israel. She received some messengers, neighbors, she extended love toward them by protecting them, and she and her household was saved. So that's why the writer, giving one example, says, uh, likewise would also not Rahab the harlot justified by love, it says, because the love she extended to the neighbor showed her faith in God, okay? So we have there, love your neighbor as yourself, is the first example he uses, Rahab the harlot. And then he says, uh, and, and, and as scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness, for he was called the friend of God. Let me read the full thing. The writer asks, was not Abraham our father justified by works? What, you change that with love. Was not Abraham our father justified by love when he offered Isaac, his own son, upon the altar? So Abraham, what does he do? He shows love for who? 
God. God gave him the commandment and he showed his love, his works, his faith by the love he extended. So we have there two examples, Abraham showing his love for God, love the Lord thy God is the first great commandment and the second is like unto it, Rahab showing love to neighbors as thyself. That is how you understand James chapter two, is that it's the, the, the faith is always going to be accompanied by love. All right, uh, with that, um, let's have a word of prayer and I'll just go in and try to talk about something and we'll open up the phone lines. Father, we, uh, we pray for our absent guest and that he will find his way here. The apparent reason is uh, him being physically lost. We pray for his spiritual, uh, being lost spiritually. And we pray for all those who are LDS who are seeking truth, that your Holy Spirit will come in and touch them. We pray for our volunteers, staff, and for people who are watching here in the studio audience at home and in the future in archives on the internet, etc. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, last week we broke policy and we had our first active LDS non-official representative of, uh, come on the show of Heart of the Matter. It was quite fun. His name is Doug Bundy, and uh, instead of putting a bunch of announcements and things up front, I have nothing because I said, let's just get right back where we left off, and, uh, and he apparently is lost. There's been somehow, is he here? He's going to be here in two minutes. So with that, we've been praying for him, so you may have heard that. Um, let's... Um, read some emails while we wait. Hey, Sean, my name is William. I am contacting you to tell a story that's taking place in my family. My wife and I have been together for 23 years, have four beautiful children, three daughters, and a nine-year-old boy. I'm a born-again believer in our Savior, and my wife is LDS. When we first met all those years ago, neither one of us were really living any kind of spiritual life. My wife, Cindy, had a toddler daughter from a prior non-LDS marriage, and I had a brief marriage with no kids all together. As our lives became, came together, we started to attend church. We attended a small Baptist church and started to discuss Christian versus Mormon doctrine. I took her to see a very dated movie about Mormonism. My wife was in tears after that movie started, saying everything was so true in what the movie said. She soon was baptized, and our lifestyle began to change over the next several years. It goes on and talks about them moving goes on to talk about their family, and then I guess they had a child, and the parents of the wife came to help with the rearing of the child, and while they were there for a full month, they re-indoctrinated this wife and uh, got her to come back and join the church. The father was an ex-bishop who helped uh, bring the daughter back out of being a Baptist and into being, he's here, he's here. The, the, the eagle has landed. And let me finish this story. And, uh, and I guess the father was then sentenced to 25 years for molesting children. But nonetheless, the wife now is out of Mormonism. I mean, out of being a Baptist is full-blown Mormonism. The family has been divided. She has found an LDS man to marry. Uh, she's divorcing over this whole thing. And it's a real tragic story. And it kind of goes hand in hand with kind of what Doug said last week. We asked him, would you rather have your uh, child be uh, an alcoholic, drug addict, or become a full-blown evangelical Christian. And 
He said, probably the drug addict, because then there's hope to, to bring them back into the LDS church. And there's kind of that constant yearning to bring people back in. So, all right, Brother Doug, come back up. Is our microphone working? Doug, unless... How are you? Oh, good now. Thank good. You. There's your mic. Now, I have to tell you, your friends stood strongly by your character. Both of them. They said, he is coming. He wants to be here. I said, I don't think so. I think he's dodging us. And, and they said, no. Is that right? Yeah, they stood up yeah. for you. Well, I'm glad of that. I was wondering about that, but I was praying really hard that the Lord would... We'll tell you about the miracle later. Well, this is interesting because we were praying hard too. So who did he answer? Hmm. Both of us. <laughs> That's intriguing. So uh, listen, uh, Doug Bundy, uh, I just said earlier that we put off all the announcements. Welcome back. Uh, and, and I just wanted, we sort of left off discussing something that you didn't really uh, like, and I don't blame you, and it was skin color. Uh, and, and I'm not going to spend much time on this, Doug. But prior to this, you testified strongly that the Book of Mormon is uh, the Word of God. It is, is a great book. It's in, and uh, you also said you've never believed in the racism in the church um, relative to skin color. But the Book of Mormon itself speaks of right. skin it color does. being it indicative does. of righteousness. It does. So explain that. Well, that's, I think, the key to understanding the whole thing from the beginning. The, the Lord uh, doesn't indicate favor from, uh, for different skin colors. That's where we make mistakes. Men do that. But what he was doing, uh, from the way I can understand it from the Book of Mormon, is trying to keep uh, certain groups apart. Okay. And uh, so he said that the, uh, that the reason in the Book of Mormon for the Lamanites uh, receiving the dark skin was to make them unattractive to the, to the Nephites. And... Uh, you know, I, that's that's probably just as hard as any other reason, but that's what he states. And then you can understand it when you look at it, because this is what we were talking about. People dwindle in unbelief. And if you marry with people that don't believe, you, know, you can see what happens. So I think that's what it is more than any kind of sign of favor of God. So you are, what you're saying is that the skin color was just to separate them. It was not necessarily prejudicial. That's right, because some of the prophets in the Book of Mormon, uh, for instance, were Lamanites. Okay, so then as when the Book of Mormon says that as they became more righteous, they became white and delightsome. Yeah, that's, uh, it's not a, uh, that's difficult because, you know, we have to say white is preferable in that way, delightsome, right? But, yeah. Uh, that's what we're stuck with. Hey, we got a verse on the script. I want you to, this is a verse in Jeremiah. Will you read that? Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Uh, then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. So he says, can the Ethiopian change his skin? That's a rhetorical question. Or the leopard change its spots? Both of that means never. And yet the book, this is in the Bible, Jeremiah. Yet the Book of Mormon taught that skin color can change. So uh, how, do you, how do you answer? I don't know. Don't I, know that one? Okay. Yeah, I, I, no I, problem. I no problem, my friend. I just wanted to cover that. All right, uh, we'll get rid of that skin color thing, and uh, let's see. Now, um, one last thing on the skin color, but it's not about skin color. You intimated strongly, and we appreciate it, a lot of people love this about you, is that you haven't liked the racism thing within, within the church, right? Right. And the reason you didn't like it, even in the 60s, was that it was prejudicial the way you saw it. 
well, yeah, it placed a burden on, on the members of the church, you know. We didn't want to be uh, president. I wasn't uh, uh, prejudiced, race. The people I grew up with weren't. We just, it just didn't happen. But, you know, there you had that doctrine. I remember the very day that the change was announced, uh, it was just almost a shout at work. Uh, and that was on an Air Force base. Wow. You know, but uh, because it was that heavy a burden. So you didn't like the burden on the people that it brought with the church. I get that. And it was prejudicial and there was a burden on the, on the black people who couldn't receive the priesthood. However, what was interesting is you said polygamy is absolutely an eternal principle. It's not practiced here now, but it will be in the future. Do you not see a burden placed on women? No, not at all. I... Uh... I, it's probably easier for them. Polygamy might be a real blessing for women so, and a burden for men, you know? So, so. Whoa, whoa. So, so the way you see it is prejudice against skin tone was a burden. However, when it comes to a woman sharing the man she loves body with other women, that is okay. No burden there. Well, I, I wasn't having to live it. I didn't even know anybody that had to live it. But it's so an eternal it was, principle. So it was an eternal principle, but we wouldn't have to think about it. But with race, that's not true. You work with black people. You, you, um, I had neighbors who were black who, you know, it, it was just really tough. But uh, I didn't have uh, polygamous neighbors, as far as I know. But so in, in terms of your family, you have, you have many children. I'm sure you've been a great dad. You're a great guy. With your daughters, do you, do you, would you want them to have to share the husband of their life, their dreams in the future, in the eternities? Because we're going to have physical bodies and go on to be progress. I mean, sexual relations are just part of the natural process. Would you want your daughter to be in a relationship where she has to share her husband with a bunch of other uh. women? You know, there's so many things in life. To be honest, Sean, it's something that is that is way back there. If we had to think about it theoretically, then then uh, you know we would have an opinion. But it doesn't impact my life now, and it doesn't look like it's going to. But it's an uh, eternal principle. You said it's an I eternal get there, principle. When I get there, I'll have oh. to deal with it, maybe. But uh, you know, Abraham had to. He had a reason. Uh, he certainly and, did. His and, wife told him to. Yeah, well, see, there you go. So so I really can't answer those kinds okay. of questions. Right. I really don't know where to go with them. Well, can... you, you know, and, you know, I get it. it. It's not, Doug, that I think that they are really that pertinent because I realize when you're LDS today, it's not that big of a deal. You don't really even think of it, mm -hmm. and I get that. Yeah. But it's huge in terms of doctrine to people who mm -hmm. are outside of it, and they look at it and say, Really? And yeah. you guys say, yeah, with a smile on your face. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, but then it's true with all these things that are difficult. The people on your uh, Facebook page uh, are constantly saying, how can, they de how can they accept Joseph Smith as a prophet of God in light of all of these things? You know, why does it not bother him? Well, the truth is, is because of the greater things. So, you know, when you have a testimony that Joseph was indeed the prophet of God called to usher in the marvelous work and wonder the, the last dispensation, when that is so uh, impressed upon your heart and upon your mind, uh, the, these other things, the, there are answers to them. And, okay. and if we had time, we'd go into them. But. Okay. Uh, just to uh, kind of launch off what you just said, and this isn't in my notes, but... Joseph Smith uh, bringing in the, the, uh, the, the restoration of the gospel and this, final, this last dispensation. Did Jesus then fail 
and I know your, what your answer is going to be, but explain to our audience how Jesus didn't fail in what he did and why Joseph was needed to do what Jesus didn't. No, he didn't fail. That was all part of the plan to begin with, and I can understand why people think that when uh, sometimes they are approached with, uh, with the, the story of the restoration, but once they understand it, they see that that was part of the plan all at once, all, uh, from the beginning, uh, all, all along. Uh, it, it, uh, the Lord said that he would gather his people. In the latter days, he would gather them together and that he would cleanse them of their sins and that he would heal the breach and uh, or bind up the breach and heal the stroke of their wound. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that day when he would do that, it would be a marvelous thing that would do. He would sanctify his name that has now been blasphemed for how many years, decades, right, among the Gentiles. So Jesus wasn't able to accomplish that? No, no, no. That's, it's Jesus that is accomplishing Okay, it. Then, then what does Joseph do? Joseph Smith? Yeah. Uh, okay, so, so the idea was that the, the uh, testimony of Jesus was kept, the second testimony, the testimony that comes from Joseph, was kept from the world until the right time when the Lord in his own due time decided that it was time for an, the second testimony of Jesus Christ to come forth. And Joseph then was, was uh, his instrument in accomplishing that. And, and do you know uh, who Christians say the second testimony of Jesus Christ would be? Would, Holy Spirit? Well, it is. Pentecost? The Holy Spirit has uh, witnessed to the Gentiles all these centuries uh, that Jesus is the Christ. They didn't have any prophets of their own. Jesus didn't wasn't sent to them okay. uh, uh, to personally minister to the Gentiles, right? Okay, we don't right. have any record right. of any oracles of the Gentiles, but they were to be uh, converted through the teaching of the Jews, witnessed and ministered to by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so uh, then let me just jump ahead in my question. Does a person, would a person have exaltation, which is equivalent to salvation in the Christian mind, without Joseph Smith? Well, if, yes or no, Doug? Well, I have to try to understand. If you're asking me, if, if Joseph Smith never did what he did, and if Jesus, there were no Book of Mormon or and whatever, and Jesus only did what he did, Jesus did do what he did, but Joseph never did, would there be salvation, exaltation? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. There would have to be. What I mean, if the Lord doesn't give us anything, any so then why is Joseph necessary? <laughs> I told you last week. The, the, there's a moral imperative. It's not Joseph, it's the Lord, and he's testing the faith of the Gentiles. Okay, okay. So now you know that uh, Muhammad, they call him the second witness. They say Jesus, he's the final prophet, and you know that Islam says that the Quran is the most correct book on the face of the earth. That's in the preface to the Quran. So we have some parallels there to Jesus not really being enough. You have to admit, Joseph restored things that Jesus, when he came and did, were not able to continue forward. The gates of hell sort of did prevail against him, and Joseph had to restore. He had to restore back to earth things that were lost. How does that work? Well, they're being lost today, so you can see how it works today because many of the Christian churches are apostatizing at a rate that's alarming a lot of people. So, But this happened way back when the great and abominable church was formed uh, the devil was the foundation of it. And uh, so the Lord had this idea, not idea, of course, but this way we're putting it, uh, that he would bring 
the Gentiles from the captivity that they suffered under that great and abominable church that yoked them down and brought them into captivity. And so the Lord had mercy on them, brought them to this land in order to take away their stumbling block and help them understand that they were in a state of awful blindness regarding the gospel. That's what... Let me translate and tell me if I'm wrong, Doug. What Doug is essentially saying is Jesus came for the house of Israel, but when it came to the Gentiles, the Lord is merciful and he continued and he brought more light that was lost through the ages, through Joseph to the Americas, and and he's continuing to do his work. And and essentially, is that what you're... That's right. He brought forth the gospel the fullness of the gospel to the Gentiles first, see? Right. And then from the Gentiles, it goes to the house of Israel to gather them in and to... And, and then we see the fulfillment of Isaiah chapters 59, 60, 61, 62. It's amazing. Isaiah is a very big book in, in Mormonism and so is the Old Testament. You'll notice last week when asked about the Bible, Doug said he loves the Bible, especially the Old Testament. The Old Testament is concurrent with LDS beliefs in many, many ways, whereas the New Testament really does in many, many ways, shapes, and form, Doug may not agree, counters uh, to the, especially Pauline epistles, to what Mormonism teaches. But I don't want to cover that. I want to go tell the audience about pre-existence. Do you believe it? Okay, yeah. We were talking a little bit about this on Facebook. Uh, The idea that God created the earth uh, and man at the beginning and Adam fell uh, as 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 a real... Uh, tragedy, so to speak, is totally different from the view of the Latter-day Saints. They see that uh, we came here uh, as a second estate had to be proven in a second estate where in before we lived here as spiritual children of God, then where before we had bodies, we lived with God and were his offspring, as it says in the Bible. And uh, there we, uh, there was the big battle. That's when the uh, uh, Satan was cast out and and uh, and the angels were cast down and so on the fallen angels that we're talking about but but we because we're here we're we're in the second estate and the Lord says if we are uh, obedient and valiant and keep our second estate then glory will be added upon our heads forever and ever okay uh, Jesus said this let's show the verse where Jesus says uh, he said to them you are from beneath I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said unto you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. When he says to the Jews, you are from beneath, I am from above. When he says, I am the bread of life that's come from heaven. All of these references to him coming from heaven, but no other. How do you understand those? Well, he's talking to unbelieving Jews. And so they were unbelieving. But weren't they from above? No, well, they were in the sense that we just talked about in the pre-existence, but this is not the sense that Jesus is talking about in this instance. He's, he's telling them that they are listening to their father, uh, Saint devil. Lucifer, yeah. the devil, and he's so the, spiritually speaking. He's spiritually talking. speaking. Okay. So when he says literally, I came down from heaven, and that blew their mind in John six. Oh yeah. Yeah, it, it, but 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 they all believed if they had the truth that they came down from heaven too. Well, I don't know if they had that truth by then, because oh. uh, we don't have it, and I don't. They were they were so apostatized by that time. You know, it was just a few decades later that Jerusalem was to be completely destroyed. Okay. So they were in a pretty sorry state. So I don't know how much they knew. You mentioned Adam and the fall, and how you've been on Disgrace Book and talking with people about that. But I, I have a Disgrace question. Book. I have a question for you about Adam and the fall. Satan says when asked. 
what, what are you doing, Satan? He says, look, I, I've just been doing that which has been done in other worlds. He, he, and that's not revealing anything of the endowment. He just says, I've done what, what, what's been done before. Okay, so why, if this is part of the plan of salvation where there are billions or trillions of people up there in heaven waiting to come down and get bodies, why did Satan tempt Adam and Eve to eat a fruit that would get God's plan going? Why didn't he do everything he could to keep them from that tree? I don't know. He probably didn't understand exactly everything that was going. You, you want to ask, too, why did the Lord put the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which would be the downfall of Adam, right smack in the middle of the garden? Choice. Well, there he you didn't, go. He gave him choice. He, he, he said, look, it, you, can follow me, you can follow me out of love and because and you want to have a relationship with me, uh, Doug, or you can go and eat of that tree, but I'm telling you, don't do it. And he, it's not that he, did he, do you really think he wanted them to do it? You realize, Doug, I got to ask you this. This has always plagued me. <laughs> yeah, do you really? I've heard you talk about it. Yeah, it drives me nuts. It, drew, it drove me nuts as a, as a Mormon. <laughs> yeah, falling that, up, right? The, the, the falling up <laughs> is the result of every child who gets raped. Every single mm. woman who gets beaten is the result of Adam falling up. It's never made sense to me that God would author such a thing. It's very difficult unless you understand that the importance of free, uh, free agency. Man is sent here to choose his free agency, and the Lord will not interfere with that. I'm not saying he would interfere, but he authored this. He authored this is what you're saying. And he will wipe every tear, he says, from every person. Tell that to eyes, a child right? who's being raped. All I know, but tell that to God. I mean, this is the I would tell in. it to God. I, that, that's a God I can't understand. <laughs> well, can, audience, can you understand a God who says, listen, Adam, Eve, I, I've got a bunch of spirits up here. I want you to go and bring evil into this world I've created for you. And, and by no, bringing... they didn't bring evil. Oh, remember? actually, it brought evil. Well, but the point was, is it brought the choice of evil. The choice remember, you was were just there. We had the tree. That's right. Before so, a fall. So when they took of the fruit, and they be, the Lord says they've become as one of us. And that was the important that, that, part. Okay, where does he say they become as one of us? In the Bible. Where at? He's talking about Noah then. No, it's, yeah. in Gen yeah. it's in Genesis, right there, where and knowing, right after they took of the fruit. Okay, what was the option for them if they were in the garden to know good from evil? What other option did they have? Not to partake of the fruit. Okay, and then what could they have done? Did God walk with them in the cool of the day? Well, yeah. Did he? Uh, but could they have asked God, how do we multiply and replenish? We don't know. Well, Could they have talked to him, or did they have to disobey? You're saying that God's the author of disobedience. Uh, well... You know, I got to understand. <laughs> These are really difficult questions. If we, if they are difficult. We, They're very we, simple. No, God is good. No, he would no, never come. No. He would never if want If he created them. evil, then is that what you're saying? Did it God, says that in the Bible that he created evil. I believe that by, he did create well, evil. Well, then God is evil. By he the created fact, evil. By the fact that he is good, evil's created. By the fact that there's he, he light, darkness exists. Way. He just said he created, created evil. Okay, he look, created, at, uh, let's get to evil. the point. The point is, you're saying God wanted sin and death to come into this world. No. And as a result, we've had the wars. We've had the no. terrible, heinous. No. No. No, he didn't want that. He wanted us to have our choice, to choose him. But the result would be what we see if all we, around us. If we chose not to love him then that would be the result. And many of us chose not. Do you know, See, do you know what the Christian answer is to this, Doug? Go ahead, tell me. Do you, but no, I'm asking you, do you know? Probably not. I, I could guess, but, but... God said, hey, you, you, can, you can have a relationship with me through just following the simple rule. I'll love you. We'll raise up a people in this garden. 
You will be joyous and beautiful, and you'll have what we're promised in heaven later. But, but man decided against that and went against God, and so the punishment was Satan's reign and rule over this earth. And, and you, you are giving homage to a God who enacted that rule over well, this earth. It's a horrible premise. No, it's not. It, it, the idea of man's uh, free, that man is free to choose whether to serve God or serve Satan. See, after uh, Adam, now this is our belief. You said, you know, that we, if we were honest with our beliefs, right? Yeah. So we believe that Adam was baptized and he received the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. And then the Lord says, you've become one in me, you've become son of God, right? And then he was commanded to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to uh, his children. And he did, and Satan came along and said, believe it not, and they believed it not, and that's where all this comes from. Not because, not because the Lord created uh, evil or because there was a better way. There was no other way. That's, really? Yeah. Obedience to God, saying don't eat of that tree or you'll surely die, and there's no other way that they couldn't have multiplied? They had to have their free agency, and that's why their eyes were open. Didn't they have the agency? No. They had the agency to choose between eating How did that, they do uh, that? I don't know. I can't. I'm so worn out from trying to find this place. <laughs> and then you... Yeah. Uh, then you got to meet me. Hey, do you have water? Okay. Yeah, okay, look, okay. I want to talk about marriage for a second. Okay. Uh, Doug. Point, but before we do, I got to ask you a yes or no question, okay? Yeah. Uh, does Mormonism teach, yes or no, that God was once a man and that men on this earth and women, whatever, can progress to becoming a God, yes or no? Yes. Okay. You just heard it. Thank you, Doug. Another hallmark <laughs> moment on Heart of the Matter. I can't believe that. Yeah, we've had two. <laughs> Very good. Why, Thank you. Why yeah. don't others tell you the same thing? Well, you're, uh, what did Gordon B. Hinckley say? I mean, sorry, Dan Rather, Gordon B. Hinckley, six, oh, I don't know if we know anything about uh, that. Yeah, well, maybe. Oh, oh, <laughs> big donkey lied on TV. And then later in Australia at a conference says, believe me, I know our doctrine, saints. Don't worry about it. I mean, but sorry, you are honest. Thank you for being honest. So, God was once a man. A big subject in Mormonism, marriage. In fact, if I remember correctly, Bruce R. McConkie, LDS Apostle, said, it's the most important decision a person will make in this life is who they marry. Plainly tell us, according to Mormon doctrine, does a person need to be married in an LDS temple to become a god? Yes. Thank you, Doug. Thank Gosh, this is refreshing. <laughs> I would kiss you if you were a woman. <laughs> And if you keep going like this, no, please. <laughs> okay. Now, Jesus said, because you say you believe you can be eternally married, Jesus said plainly, the children of this world, and he says, I'm not the king of this world, the children of this world marry and are given in marriage. What do you think about that? You sure you quoted it right? Yep. I mean, I'm, I know what you're trying to say, but... That's what he said. But wasn't he talking about the resurrection? We have a correction here. Neither. Neither. You said you didn't yes. say that. Neither. <laughs> but that's not the only thing, Dave. He, he actually was talking to the Pharisees who were trying to trap him into their argument of resurrection. No, this is a different setting. Oh, this is a different passage. Oh. I'm not talking about the Sadducee and the Sadducees oh, yeah. coming okay. to him about resurrection, but that's yeah. another one. Yeah. I'm not talking about that passage. Uh, I'm talking about where Jesus said, the children of this world... Uh, uh, Neither marry. No, marry 
and are given in marriage. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. Now what? See, so then what did he say after that? that well, we can look at the context. We, someone try to find it and bring it up. We'll come back to it. He wants context. Context is going to help us. But I just want to know your thoughts on that. Because what the Lord was saying is, look it. You know, well, this world is a physical place. And this world has physical rules and people do things in this world. And the children of this world, Marian, are given in marriage. We don't have to worry about in the world to come. There's going to be something different, I'm sure better, than what we're talking about. So that's my response to the homosexual marriage thing. I have no problem with it because look at the children of this world, marrying or given in marriage. I'm married. It's an earthly thing. I don't, but you guys have made it an institution into the eternities yeah. and necessary to become a God. Yeah. 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 So I'm surprised that we can't really speak on what Jesus said about that. It's such an important topic. Well, I just don't recall okay. the passage. All so, right. Uh, well, if someone can bring it up and put it, tell the cage back here, we'll go. Let's talk about salvation. The LDS missionaries today are known, today especially, I've sat with many of them, saying that Mormon teaches that people are saved by grace. They are. Okay? Saved by grace. There's an article of faith that says that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved Mm -hmm. by obedience to the laws and ordinances ordinances of the gospel. That's right. How are you saved by grace? But you have the article of faith that says you are saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Because when the Lord says you have to repent, that is obedience. When he says you have to be baptized, that is an ordinance. And uh, he says you must humble yourself as a little child and, uh, and then be baptized. And then be, you'll be numbered with his people. That's Where's a the covenant. Grace? Where's the grace? Well, <clears throat> the thief gra- on the cross. No. Okay, so... Th- so the grace is, is in the salvation. If we obey Jesus, then he washes us in his blood. But he says, if we will not hear him, he cannot okay, cleanse us. Stop. Doug just said that the grace is in the salvation of Jesus if we obey. We have absolutely, Paul made this clear, that it's either grace and nothing or it is works and nothing. You cannot mix them. It's like grace is, is the 100%. You, you cannot have, you are given a gift, but there's a price for it, Doug. Grace is, does not, it's an unmerited gift. You are saying that grace is merited. Is that true? No, you don't merit it, but he demands it because he's the one given the grace. So he says, you will not have my grace if you don't come unto me. And how can we come unto him unless we repent of our sins? We can't be saved in our sins. Okay, that's, so the, here, that's what he says. For our audience, this is a major division between Mormonism and Christianity. I'm going to articulate it the best I can. Doug, agree with me if you want. Here's the thing. Christianity is plainly teaching, he saved us while we were in our sin. That listen, there is no repentance that you do. There is no our scarf and, and do go through this process in order to get ready and right for God to give you his reception. He has come and saved us while we are in our sin. And once we receive that free gift, unencumbered by anything, then we are filled with his Holy Spirit, which gives us the power and ability to overcome our flesh and the sins that we will uh, commit in the future. The LDS view, Doug, correct me if I'm wrong, is you first prepare yourself through steps of repentance, get your life straightened out, then you're the beneficiary of his grace? Absolutely. How is it grace if you have to do things to earn it? It's, you don't earn it. There's no, how can you earn it? You can't earn it. You, but, you ha- but there are requirements 
for you to fulfill. Now I'll give you an example okay. right from the Bible. The Lord says if you come to him with uh, a gift and, and uh, you remember there your altar, uh, I mean on the altar, you remember that your brother has ought against you, what are you supposed to do? Okay, here's, here's something that's tricky for our audience. I gotta let you know. First and foremost, Doug does a lot of quoting of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts up to chapter 10. All extensions of the Old Testament. All Jesus coming to the house of Israel, not to the Gentiles. That's right. So his conversation was to Jews who were under the law, and his purpose was to bring them to an understanding of their need for him. Those things, while true, they have a very different application to Gentile Christians. And we know from uh, Acts 10 on into the New Testament that there is a very different application when it comes to repentance, when it comes to baptism. Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody. He's talking about it being a necessary ordinance for salvation. If it was so, so necessary, Paul said, I haven't even baptized anybody. I've just preached the gospel, the good news, you see. But the LDS are very strong on quoting Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, because those are simply Jesus reaching to Jews and they relate to the Old Testament. He, he, last week, Doug was not impressed with the New Testament, essentially, because Pauline epistles bring us the gospel to the Gentiles. Do you know that he does not talk about repentance, that he does not speak, and that repentance is the result of, baptism is the result of having been saved in the Greek, not in order to get saved? So Doug is preaching something that to the Jews had some application. They had the law. We are barbarians, Gentiles. We come under something completely different. It's called grace. Okay? You laugh. No, no. I'm just saying, I'm laughing because of the, your use of the word barbarians. But the, the fact that uh, Jesus Christ uh, came to the Jews is, is true. That, that's very true. I never thought of it in terms of, of uh, us always quoting from the Gospels. Uh, and especially the red letters there of, in the words of Jesus. But I guess that's true as well. But in the letters of Paul especially, it's very, very clear. Uh, but we don't have time to go into all the debate that takes place. But it's just as clear there as it is in uh, the four Gospels that, that uh, we must repent. There is no getting around it. The Old Testament and the New Testament and the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants okay. and everything that we believe in insists that we must repent You're not and alone. be baptized. Christians believe in the repentance too, but there's a difference. What does repentance mean to you, Doug? Well, it means stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right. Okay, and that is the classic definition that Christians use and Mormons to define repentance. What's it mean in, in, the, in the literal verse? A change of what? It's in your own Bible dictionary. Change of mind. See, the actions won't stop, Doug. That's the problem with your definition of repentance, is that the actions will never stop that are sinful. Well, no, wait, let me finish, and then I'll let you go. Okay. See, the actions are gonna happen because in our flesh we have sin in them. Impatience, that's a sin. It, all those things. But if the mind changes, the mind says, you know, I hate who I am in my flesh. Oh, Lord, forgive me, help me. That's, re that's the true definition of repentance. You are giving us a very Old Testament definition but of repentance. But I would agree with your definition. Okay. If you want to add that, I was just trying to, to get the general idea out there. You change in mind, but it doesn't do you any good if your mind changes again next week. You know? No, and well, wait a and second. And you have a disposition for sin. Wait but, a no, second. I, you, I, you're saying there is no disposition for sin? That the righteous who repent 
all right? Doesn't mean that they're perfect, but they have no more disposition to sin. They don't want to sin. They want they to don't please want God. To, but right. do they? Well, of course they do. Every okay, man the, does. You the, do. Of I course. do. But but we don't want it. Oh, that's what I'm saying. The mind has changed. Okay. Well, okay, I agree but with that. you're saying the actions have to change. That's how you that's define. Right. You can't. It's like James well, it's not said. Right. I'll show you my faith by my works. And so if you say, well, we I have faith. That. I love God. I repent. I don't like this sin, but you don't change your behavior. You keep on doing it. Then that's not repentance. Okay. So what happens with somebody who they're driving along the road today on your night home, you've, you've, you've really repented, Doug. And right now at this moment, let's just say you're perfect and you're going off the side of the road and you're about to be killed. And the guy who's driving you off, you say, you mother, and you die. <laughs> what happens? I don't know. We let the Lord decide that. It's so, but, it's really but, but the idea is, is that the, uh, the Lord, when he's talking repentance, when he says, come unto me, he's saying, leave the world. All right. Leave your sins and become as humble as a little child. And, and submit to baptism and keep my law. All That's what he said. All out of context, every, every word he said. That, true, but out of context. And that's the problem with the LDS delivery. Well, it might it's, be the problem, but we, this is what we believe. And that's I, okay, what okay. But the, the question I have then on the repentance, you have steps to repentance, Doug. You have, to, you have to recognize you've, you've sinned. You have, to first, you have to feel sorrow. You have to confess. You have to, ask for, uh, you have to ask for forgiveness. You have to make restitution. And you have to forsake the sin. That is the LDS paradigm of, of repentance. Absolutely. Okay. And if you don't forsake, you have never really repented. That's the, that's the teaching. No. Spencer W. Kimball on down. Forget it. Well. Uh, you said it yourself. If you don't change... You're in trouble. I know. But then if you get mad, it doesn't mean you never repented. If you, if you see a beautiful woman and, you know, you lust after her, yeah, you've got to repent of that. But that doesn't mean that you're not treading along the path that the Lord requires us to pray. See, the Latter-day Saints don't believe they're saved. If you go up and ask them, are you saved? They, they won't say that because they don't believe it. They believe that they've entered in at the gate, which was repentance, baptism, and and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then they're going along feasting on the words of Christ. Uh, 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 keeping his commandments. And doing the things that he would have them do. Serving him until the end of their life. And the Lord says if they do that. Enduring to the end. Following this narrow path. They will be saved. So they're looking forward to salvation. They will never say oh yeah I'm saved. I was saved last Tuesday. When uh, I came uh, when I was in the parking lot there talking to God. You know, so is there ever say, peace? With, is there ever peace with a, with a Latter-day Saint? Absolutely. This is a peace that, uh, that surpasses all understanding. Uh, and what's it coming from if you are it's never sure? It's coming from the Holy Ghost. But if you're never sure you're saved no. and you're always wondering, and if you make a certain mistake during the week... No, you know if you're on the path or not. Now, if you start deviating from that path and you're going in a different direction and you're not feasting on the words of Christ, you're not rejoicing okay. in the Fine. love of God and, and the plan of salvation, then, then yeah, yeah. You so got it's all about. predicated on you. It is. I okay. can't help it. That's what it is. You, you can't got... help it. That's fine. So we're going to jump to this. I'm jumping around here. So, Doug, we die. You probably heard me do this before. We go before God. We're killed right now. Tell God why you should enter into his presence. And then I'm going to tell him why I should. No, I can't, I can't uh, say anything other than I... Uh, it's what know, you believe. Uh, I've entered into the gate. 
Okay. And I'm following along the path. What I, did you do? What did I do? To follow along the path, Doug. I, I did what he's what his law requires. And so, what does his law require? His law requires us to, to keep the law of Christ until we, uh, the end of our life. So if I died, I wouldn't try to, to say, you know, that the uh, uh, Lord owes me... Um, eternal life, if that's what you mean. What would you I, say, I wouldn't become my own advocate. What Jesus would, Christ becomes my advocate. Okay, why would Christ say, why would Christ say because you should I, come Because I obeyed. Okay, and I, because and you I, obeyed. What did I you follow, obey? I obeyed the law and ordinances of his gospel. What are those? Okay, I've tried to tell you. Repentance, uh, humility, and baptism. That's it. That's it. That's what we enter into the path. Okay, the path, but right. nothing else necessary? Well, be uh, honest now. I'm, uh, Come on, I'm, brother. I'm trying to understand what you're saying, Sean. I'm trying to understand the why Lord, Jesus is going to authenticate you as being worthy to enter the celestial kingdom. That's what his word says. Just repent, be baptized. And uh, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is, entitles you then to be baptized by fire and the Holy Ghost okay. and endure to the end. That's all he says we have to do. Okay. Now, uh, can we bring up uh, 1 John for me? 1 John 3. Read this for me and tell me what you think this means. Okay. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandments. Okay, now that's to Gentiles. And it says, "These are this is his commandment." And Jesus said, a new, com- Jews as well. a, "A new commandment I give unto you, that you should believe on the name of His Son Jesus Christ and love one another." Now, I don't see anything about repentance there. I see nothing about water baptism there. No, no, you the, don't. You, no wait, no wait. Bring it back up. You say no. What does it mean? And this is His commandment this that we is, should believe. You should believe on the name of His Son Jesus on the Christ name and love one and another. love one another. Now, what, who's He talking to there? He's talking to believers. Believers, yeah. exactly. So okay. they've probably already been baptized. They've probably already gone through the steps that we're talking about, right? I mean, isn't Pretty that slippery. true? Okay. So what about people who read that today? Well, then they have to do that. They have to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. And if they do, they will believe when they hear it that uh, Joseph Smith was a prophet of God and that Jesus Christ has commanded us to come to him, repent, be baptized, and enter into the straight and narrow path okay. to the end of our lives. What t- how much time we got, Derek? You come back next week? <laughs> We're going to bring an armored car to get you here. Now, wait a second. We're going to stretch it out. We're going to do a two-hour program tonight. Is everybody willing? Okay, we're willing. So we're going to get to the calls. We're going to take calls right now, and then we're going to come back and try to get through our questions. Is that okay with you? Sure. And since you're here, I mean, you're like a a celebrity. Once we've got you, we got to keep you. We're going to go to Karen in Houston. Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, go ahead. Well, I think that's very atypical. 
I don't think you'd, when you grew up in a Mormon family, I didn't. Is that what you were taught? Uh, <laughs> I was taught never. Uh, Bruce R. McConkie said point blank, we do not worship Jesus. That's a point blank quote from uh, the... Yeah, but she said they were telling her not to pray to Jesus. Don't pray to Jesus. Never pray to Jesus. You pray to Heavenly Father. Flip chart, LDS Church, this is how you pray. Our Heavenly Father. Oh, I see. Yeah. In, in that sense, yeah. Yeah, so do you yeah, pray to Jesus? Maybe she misunderstood then. No, no, you're saying that now they're saying that we do pray? Are, are you saying, Karen? Karen? Yes. Oh, my, that's what my mom told me, but she's older. She might be misinformed. Well, let's just ask Doug. Do you pray to Jesus? Do you worship Jesus? I worship Jesus. To give you a good example of this, Jesus taught us to pray to the Father, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. And he taught us to pray to the Father in his name, didn't sure, he? So yeah. we're following the commandments of Jesus to do that. Now, in the Book of Mormon, he was with these people, uh, appeared to them after his resurrection and showed them his body and they, were, they prostrated themselves before him, and they were praying to him. They were worshiping him. And he then said to the father, Father, and he, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the idea was they're praying to me because I'm here with them. He was sort of apologizing to him. You know, okay, but we're, we're not here with him. Us. We're like, he's in heaven, we're here, so can we pray to him now, according to the LDS, or not? According to Jesus, we should pray to the Father in his so name. So the LDS do not pray to Jesus. We do not pray to do Jesus. Do they worship Jesus? They worship Jesus. Of course they worship Interesting. Jesus. Interesting. McConkie said no. How do you justify that? Well, I don't know what McConkie was saying. I'm just telling you, we go and we worship the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. And okay. so, it, you know, if that isn't worshiping Jesus, I don't know what is. But uh, hey, hey. maybe the, he meant something else. But we... we I'm saying the Latter-day Saints, every Latter-day Saint that I've ever been accustomed or met, including Sean, when he was a Latter-day Saint, went to sacrament meeting, and we took of the bread and the water. Well, that has nothing to do and, with worship. Well, how come that for us is worship that's because you we're, worship. we're renewing our covenant right. with the Lord. Doug, why don't you ever hear Jesus Thank you. G Lord Jesus, I love you. I praise you. I worship your name. Thank you, uh, Jesus. How come it's always, how come that vernacular doesn't come out from the pulpit that I also stood and listened to for years? How come we don't hear that in the Mormon church? You don't hear it. That's you admit that. That's a really good question. Do you do that? Uh, no. When I get up there, I don't do that either. I praise the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay. I express my gratitude to the father for his son i sing to the father in the name of jesus and why i don't directly invoke the name of jesus except in during ordinances yeah and the execution of ordinances i think is due to the fact that jesus taught us to pray to the father always in his name to ask all things he didn't say ask me whatever you want. He didn't say, praise me. He always says, ask the Father for what you need in my name, always in my name. So that's what we do. We take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, verse 57, Jesus is teaching on the bread of life, and he says this, just to counter what Doug says, as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by, I, Jesus only, live by the Father, Listen, so he that eateth me, meaning his flesh and blood, even he shall live by me. There's a hierarchy there. 
Jesus was the only one who followed the law and the, everything perfectly, and he had access to the Father. He is now our mediator, and he is who we have life in now. And we do worship, and we do get pay homage to him. It's a major difference between Mormonism and Christianity. And I'll tell you, if you're watching, go to an LDS sacrament meeting, on fasting testimony meeting, and listen to them. And hear what they say, hear what they're thankful for, hear who they praise, men, and hear what goes on with that, and just see, compare this. Don't be afraid, go. It will be really interesting. Thank you so much, uh, Karen. All right, thanks so much, Sean. Sorry, bye. Let's go to Chad in Kansas City. Chad, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how are you, brother? I'm doing well. How you doing? 39 years, 9 months, and 19 days. I was LDS, and my, me and my family, we are out. Praise God. We, um, we turned in our letter um, Saturday before uh, Christmas, turned it in. I had it mailed in and talked with our, the bishop on last Sunday, and um, we're out. We're done. When we, um, we, we showed our kids, and, and we started teaching our kids what the Bible said, my daughter, um, who's had nothing but problems with members of the church and, and being treated badly, she said, I feel free. The same feeling that, that I felt after I believed and I changed my mind that I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, I felt free, and I never shared that with them. And it was just ironic that I show my daughter this, and all I've got to do is show her a few things. And she said, she's 18 now, and she said, Dad, I have never felt like this before. I feel so free. Praise God, Chad. Thanks so much. You have a question or comment for our guest? I, I don't. I just want to say, if you do another show with the hour of this guy, I think I'm going to pull all my hair out. <laughs> okay, goodbye, Sorry, Sean. don't pull your hair out. See, See you later, man. Hey, listen, uh, uh, we're going to go to a uh, call. What did he say? Oh, um, oh, how? maybe you can explain this. In our experience, Doug, when people come out of Mormonism, and it, I, I don't say this to boast, but admittedly, because I've been in this for a while, I've heard probably in the thousands of people who have come out, and they almost always, if they've come out into a relationship with Christ, say, the burden was lifted. I am free. Just like Chad, that wasn't scripted. Yeah, yeah. What is, what's happening with that? Well, the Lord says that he would give the star of morning to him that overcame. He's always talking about overcoming, and it's not easy. It's not easy to, uh, the world hates you because it hated him. Uh, you are constantly under uh, the gun to, you know, quit, really, and that's what he's talking about. Sure, anytime, if you were running a race like Paul ran, but he quit, he would probably have filled relief. He wouldn't have passed through all of the things that he describes as passing through that were very arduous, right? It would be a lot easier to quit and go back home like, what was it, Barnabas did? No. Huh? Barnabas. Who was it? Uh, One of his early companions right, right. Uh, decided, no, this is too tough. I'm going home. So what you're saying then after the story is that the people who leave have have not overcome. That they have to endure to the end. That okay, and word they, endure is used throughout the scriptures. Okay, we, ha, that's not a debate. That. That's not a debate, okay, Doug, but okay. you're saying they have to endure what the LDS and what Joseph said they have to do. You know, monthly temple, tithing 10%, Sabbath day obedience, 
we could go on and on and on, home teaching, attend all your meetings. Well, I don't see how that would be a burden, but, but if that's the burden. Are you really LDS? <laughs> Uh, it's so, not a burden to pay the Lord. If you love him, you're uh -huh. paying your 10%. Do you complain? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Huh? Yeah. You I do? do? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I don't pay 10%, Doug. Oh. So listen. What do you, you pay more than 10%? No, I don't, pay, I don't pay anything that's not of my heart. Well, so, but if, see, there you go again. It's your heart. I you, do. You know? So and my heart is wrong for not paying the 10? No, my heart is right for paying the 10. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, so, uh. The point being, we're coming back, we're seeing the disparity is really, it's on Doug to overcome, to do, to prove. Jesus gave this plethora of commandments that the LDS reinforced to their members in general conference and ensign. And you, you gotta do this stuff, you gotta do this stuff, and you gotta stay there doing it to overcome, to show and get the star in the end. And I wanna now interject what I, I would say going before Christ. Well, I think that's a little bit of a mischaracterization, but go ahead. Um, I think that if we take the talks of the LDS leaders, I think you can find almost every one of these things I just said supported by them saying these things you do in order to inherit the kingdom. They have made almost everything I talked about a principle upon which we must seek perfection, Doug. And I don't have the research with me, but if we want, we can get it. But I wanna now say, Doug, he kind of skirted the question of what he would say if he stood before God. But I want to say right now that I would go and fall on my face and say, I am not worthy of anything. Only that I believed on your son, from the heart, your son. I tried to follow, but I failed miserably. My works are but filthy rags. Your son came and he did all of it for me, all of it. And I recognize that. And because of my gratitude and love, I, I, I tried to serve, but I know those are filthy rags to a living God who oversees everything. But you know my heart, God. Did you know how I felt toward your son and my, my love and devotion toward him, my faith? That's what, I, that's what I lie on. If it's anything else, I'm done. That's, that's my profession. He has intimated throughout our conversation this, this evening that there's a lot of overcoming that needs to be done on our part in order to be able to merit it. Anything you want to add by well, that? He says in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, that to him who overcomes. So he, he's talked about it all the way through. How the do you gospel. overcome? And, and then. And then uh, How do you no, overcome, no, hold Doug? Hold on, hold on. Let me, you, give me a chance to finish. Then he says, uh, Paul says, uh, that, you know, we, we labor uh, here. Uh, we would rather be with the Lord, but we're, you know, not present with the Lord. And so we labor and, and we receive, you know, a down payment, so to speak, uh, on our efforts. So uh, if I could quote that exactly, I, I would be happier. But it's, that's the sense. The idea, the Latter-day Saints don't go uh, demanding that they be saved in front of the Lord. And they don't, it's not that they aren't offering a sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit, as you just uh, sort of illustrated, they do. But the Lord has commanded them to purify themselves. To By what? That's what he says. Purify By your, what? By repentance, obviously. Okay, so again, so, we're back to the Wait a minute, I'm just telling wheel. you what he says. No, 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 you've covered Revelation. You've covered these other verses. You're doing a lot of stuff. But bottom line, let's get to the bottom line, Doug. It's about you overcoming. When it says overcome in scriptures, we overcome you by faith. You couldn't do it without Christ. We, oh, thank you for that addition. 
We overcome by faith, and the overcoming is expressed in love. And the fruit of the Spirit has nothing to do with these external works. The, the, the fruit of the Spirit has to do with heavenly things. It has to do with characteristics within the heart. It has to do with pride. It has to do with humility that Doug mentioned. It has to do with purity that comes by and through our faith in Christ. It's by our faith that we overcome. He is saying that we overcome by our flesh. No, no, no? not at all. I just said you have to overcome, and we overcome by faith. We agree on that. And as we uh, persevere, as we press forward, the Holy Ghost burns the sin out of us. We purify ourselves. He commands us to purify our hands and our hearts so that he can keep this last promise when he will, and that's to hold us guiltless before the Father. I got a question for you then. You talked about this overcoming. You've talked about, you know, you're persecuted, you suffer. There's a, there's a shopping mall called City Creek Center. Your prophet, he opened it by saying, let's go shopping. It costs a billion dollars. The advertisements downtown are the most salacious, worldly appeals to the flesh I've ever seen for a mall. And you have shops there that all go to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Explain that, Doug. Hmm. Boy, you really lay these things on me. But I can't explain it. They didn't use any tithing funds. You know that. The, the money that came to build the thing uh, came from uh, other sources, not tithing. Tithing buys businesses, which produces other sources. Continue. No, I don't think so. But uh, then on the other hand, as far as the advertisements are concerned, uh, I'd, I'd never seen them. I don't know what you're talking about, but it would appall me if that were the case. But there may be you know, business contracts or something that they... Uh, got into. I don't know what the explanation is. Marriott Center, BYU, Marriott Center, What's Marriott Center, BYU, Marriott Center. What Marriott's about the largest purveyor of porn yeah. in the hotel business in America. Yeah. The largest purveyor. And you got the Marriott Center there on BYU. You talk all the principles of overcoming. You talk about all this goodness that you have to do to show God. But the very institution that you represent right now, Doug, is a bastion of I'm the not. world. Uh, do you remember what I told you last time, last week when I was here? Remind us. The, the church is going down. Remember me saying that? The LDS church is going the down? The LDS church is going down. Okay. It says that right in the Doctrine and Covenants. Uh, so, you know, how this plays into any of it. I don't accuse the brethren of any kind of sin. Uh, you know, they have to answer for their stewardship to the Lord. I just worry about my stewardship. I know that this is the work of God. I know that the Book of Mormon is true. Your testimony, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, and, and so I have to be concerned when, when you said, well, if I die going home, I'm not going to have to answer to why the brethren built a mall or why they allowed these salacious... Them? Salacious advertising. You follow them. You, you raise your hand to them, don't you? That's right. Exactly. I you give allegiance them. to men. But I don't, that doesn't mean I have to be accountable for what they do. Uh, you if let me they, tell you something. Mm. Christians dug by the millions have died 
for the simple fact that they've been asked, are you, by the millions, not by the a dozen that the LDS have done. We're talking about millions of Christians who have been sacrificed, burned, died, just to say, I am a Christian. They have given their all for it. And yet you're saying it's okay to swear allegiance to these corporate uh, businessmen. We don't swear allegiance. What do you swear? What do you swear? We, we sustain them as leaders of the church. You're sustaining them. Don't you guys have any, 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 any ability to say never? Can't you say Phenopole to them? <laughs> Can't you do it? I mean, you know, you just said the church is going down. It's Look going at down. it. It's, the, it's, it's the United The United States is going down and the church is going down with it. All right. All right. Um, listen, uh, we're moving on. We're going to go to Curtis in Clearwater, Florida. Sorry. Curtis, you're on Heart of the Matter. How's it going, Sean? Going good. I'm here with Doug and he's a great guy. We got, I've gotten a little more fiery this time, but we're, I still love him. And we're going to tone it down. Go ahead, Curtis. Okay, I just got a, a few questions and comments for Doug. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say you said earlier on the show that you had to be married in a Mormon temple in order to become a god. Yes. Uh, so it's kind of like you're contradicting yourself, saying you don't need to do things. Uh, also, Jesus never said anything about tithing 10%. Uh, and then my other two main comments are, I don't know how much you know about masonry, but... How do you justify the fact that the temple secrets are just copies of Masonic rites that have existed for hundreds of years? And then last thing, uh, you seem to be very comfortable with your modern day prophets contradicting each other and changing teachings. Can you give any examples of biblical prophets contradicting each other or changing teachings, of course, outside of Jesus and the new covenant that he established? All right, very good question. First of all, we don't discuss the temple outside the temple, and, and so I don't want to get into that. If you want to go back, you can see the past episodes of uh, uh, where Sean showed the actual uh, ceremony, the whole thing. So uh, what, uh, what, I, what I do and what all the, all the Latter-day Saints that I know do is put our trust in Jesus and that his when we hear his voice and his voice comes to us uh, when we are reading the Book of Mormon we see the fulfillment of the scriptures there so now uh, which one, version of the Book of Mormon I'm sorry is it the first printing or the third printing or the, was it the which one which printing oh gee it's <laughs> uh, a good question Doug yeah it's a good question I've never seen some of these earlier uh versions, but uh, I've seen people talk about them. I didn't see anything that would disturb me. Uh, and then what was your other question? I'm sorry. I... Well, again, you also said that you have to be married in a Mormon oh, temple. Oh, yeah, yeah, that you have to be so married. is that you, something you have to do, or is it not something you have to do? It is something you have to do, because uh, those are the ordinances that are revealed. Now you say, well, they're not in the Bible. Well, we don't have everything in the Bible. The, the Lord taught his uh, saints, well, wait a minute, 40, 40 days. He taught them things about the, the kingdom that we don't know anything about. How about the Book of Mormon? And so... Fullness of the gospel in the Book of Mormon. Is it in the Book of Mormon? Is the temple? Yeah. No, no. But it's the fullness of the gospel. No, but that's not the fullness of the gospel. As I explained before yesterday, the fullness of the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ in a national sense and in a personal sense. Wow. It's so very, very interesting. Curtis, is there uh, good questions for the audience and for Doug? Uh, we have so many people waiting. Really appreciate it, my brother. No problem, man. Take care. Have fun. Okay, bye-bye. 
let's go to uh, Dave on line one. Dave, you're on Heart of the Matter with Doug and Sean. Hey, uh, Sean. Hey, this is Dave from Salt Lake City. I've got a question for, uh, for your guest. I just want to ask him as an LDS person, does he believe in an eternal hell? And if he believes that Satan will eventually end up in, in heaven. Mm, no, I, the second part, no. The first part, yes. We, we believe in, a, in an eternal punishment, but it uses an adjective. that It's like the punishment of God. But those who, uh, all but Satan and, and his angels, will be redeemed from hell eventually. Uh, it's not an everlasting or a, a hell that never ends. It, it's described as, as uh, the fire and their torment hath no end. But it's, uh, for the Latter-day Saints, it's been revealed to them that, that that means it's an eternal punishment. That is punishment at the hand of eternal. That's the type of punishment that it is. Meaning God is eternal, so the punishment is his, and therefore it's eternal punishment. That's right. And Sean even uh, bulks at that uh, idea that, that uh, people will never leave hell, right? Maybe I mean, Mormonism has something on that yeah. one. <laughs> well, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, Sean, if, uh, if both of you agree on that, that we're all going to end up in heaven eventually, then why even have this conversation? Okay, I'm going to... I'm not sure exactly I, why people... I, I, I'd would like you to hold, that, your hold your mic. I got to talk to you this guy call for a it second. That. Okay, I want to talk to Dave for a second. Okay, Bozo. Listen, uh, first of all, to be a Christian is the reward in and of itself. It's the first resurrection. It's becoming a son and daughter. It is going to God honorably by faith in this life. It is everything in the world. Because I wonder if hell is going to ever give up its dead because God is sovereign and because God is love, and how they come out of that place, I have no idea, but it's not as a Christian. At least they might be reconciled, but I don't know what it means. But you're calling the show, and what you're doing is splitting this up because you're an idiot. Okay, so why don't you just go? Why don't you go look? look I want to know something, Dave. Dave, tell me something. Why does it matter if a Christian believes uh, that hell is not eternal? Why does that matter? Why does that matter, Dave? You're an idiot because you're calling when we have this and you're splitting it. I can see it. You're just a duplicitous idiot. Call me next week when Doug's not on here and we'll talk about it. But we have a different context here. Sean, Dave. you're acting like a cult leader. I don't care what I'm acting like, Dave. You're acting like an idiot. Uh, so well, listen, you know what? Dave, let me ask if you I something. Can ask, if I can't ask questions, me, I guess you I can am ask. an idiot. I'm guilty as You charged. can ask something, Dave, but don't do it when we're doing an interview with him where he's LDS and I'm on the Christian side and we're having this. You oh, purposely, you're on the Christian side? Wait a minute. Well, I thought you both agreed. Wait a minute. You purposely have done this because it leads to your hell, argument. Right? That it's not eternal. And even Satan himself is going to end up in What heaven. does it have to do with my Christianity if I personally believe... Well, because you're not really a Christian if you believe the same things that Mormons believe. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what? So, I'm, I'm equally a bastard to both sides. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at... No, there's yeah. no winning. But here's the thing. And the thing is... Mormons have truth, you guys. It's not like I am anti-Mormon doctrine completely. I mean, give me a break. I go after the things that are false. I don't focus on the truths. I don't focus on their goodness. They do enough of that themselves with their promotions. But bottom line, there's truth within Mormonism. And if you think that if we straddle the fence on any doctrine that we're evil, you're just an idiot like Dave. Okay, 
So let's go to Venetia on line two. You're up. Venetia. Yes? You're on the air. Oh, wow. I have a big delay. I dare, um, dare to I get Sean, close I really to. enjoy your show. Thank you, Venetia. Um, I just wanted, well, it's kind of a question and a comment, that um, how come Mormons don't, why don't they just say that they're not Christian, they're Mormons? Because if you ask them about their beliefs and everything, they'll say, well, well, we don't believe this, and we, you know, saved by grace through faith alone or something like that. Why don't they just say that they're Mormons instead of Christians because they don't agree with the New Testament? We uh, we don't do that because first of all the name Mormon is a nickname, but our our faith in Jesus Christ is just as sincere as your faith in Jesus Christ. We just believe that He has spoken in our day, and you don't believe that He has. You don't believe that He's spoken since He was on the earth, but we believe the testimony that the Lord uh, has sent forth from the earth, testifying of uh, many things and given us the fullness of the gospel. And much of that includes what you have, but there's much more than what you have. And that's why we call it the fullness of the and, gospel. And the one who brought it forth in, in 98% is Joseph Smith, right? Joseph Smith was the translator of the Book of but Mormon. He's the one who brought these extra truths, right? You, because you're, you're saying, you know, we're Christian, we just have more. That okay, I see what you're saying. No, Venetia, we're not talking about temple worship. We're not talking about different doctrines that are different than, than the Christians have that we speak in terms of restoration, the restoration of the, of the gospel. But I'm talking that's, about that's, that the that's words kind of... of my, point, um, my point is that Christians do not believe that there's anything added or taken away from the Bible. And they believe that, you know, the Bible is complete and yet you can add anything else and still be a Christian. You, you can still be a Christian, but when the Book of Mormon came out, testifying again of Jesus Christ and you reject one testimony, but accept the other, what do you think that, where does that leave you? You so, can't reject the, uh, any of the testimonies of Jesus Christ. If this, you take the Book of Mormon as a testimony. That's right. If you understand the Book of Mormon as the testimony of Joseph, as a compendium of the testimony of Joseph in this land of America, then uh, that you're following Jesus Christ because it came forth from him. Okay, so the audience... Venetia. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, that's, that's just a Mormon belief. Yeah. So I just don't understand why... They don't separate, you know, just call yourself Mormon instead of a Christian because that is not in line with mainline Christianity. Well, we, I'm going to cut Doug off. They do. They call themselves Mormon. They're the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Mormon, they use Mormon constantly. And, and listen, if you are not Mormon, you are not Christian. Last week, Doug said you have to accept the Book of Mormon. You have to for salvation because it's a second witness according to Doug. He believes that. So Mormonism says you can only be a Christian if you're a Mormon. We are Christianity. Everybody else has some truth, but they are not Christianity. So that's why, Venetia, they think they are the Christians. We use an ancient term called creedal Christianity to do the distinguishing. When you have to okay. distinguish between them. We, yeah, so creedal Christianity believes in the creeds. And uh, non-creedal Christianity believes in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> I do not believe in the creeds, by the way. And I don't believe in the then Book of Mormon. we have Sean. That's right. <laughs> hey, Venetia, thank you so much for that. It's a great call. Okay, thanks, Sean. Bye-bye.
Hey, listen, uh, really quickly, Book of Mormon. Derek, how much time are we at? Listen, Book of Mormon, uh, how is it translated? Just give us your a summary. Don't make it a big story, please. Just All right, Joseph Smith translated it by the gift and power of God. And what does that mean? That means that he received the gift and power of God to translate it. Now, whether he did it looking in a hat or looking in his pocket or looking at the plates, you know, probably all of those might be true. I don't know. But the point is, he translated it by the gift and power of God. Without the gift and power of God, he would not have been able to do it. Thank you. So Doug admits, he says he's not sure about it, but we know from research, from eyewitnesses and everything else, that Joseph translated this book, the most correct book, in a number of ways. At first, he put his face in the hat, and he saw the words come up, and he said them out loud, and they were recorded. Later, he, he, he used the, and that was using the Urim and Thummim, which is the stone that he peered into to find gold treasure on other people's property, same stone. Later, he didn't use the hat at all. There was no prop. He didn't even have the plates in the room. The gift and power of God, had, he's so used to it now, he was able to produce the rest of the Book of Mormon. All of these methods were used in producing this book, uh, called the Book of Mormon, but we covered that last week. A couple things, uh, quickly, uh, before we go to Chantel, Steve, and John. Doug, you said in your last week, in your bio, that you described yourself as a high priest since 1970. Uh, now, to the Christian, the Book of Hebrews tells us, in, in the Old Testament, so you're a fan, of, you're a, you're a, you love the Old Testament, the, there was only one high priest, ever. And when he died, then there was another high priest to take his place. And that high priest was the one who was nominated to go in once a year on the Day of Atonement and to do all the blood atonement and everything else. And so Hebrews plainly tells us that Jesus now, by his own blood, enters once and for all into the Holy of Holies, offering his blood once and for all, not as beggarly men going in offering it once a year, and that the blood of sheep and goats cannot pass sin, cure sin, but that Jesus does it, and he is our high priest. Now, you as a high priest, do you see Jesus as your high priest too? Oh, absolutely. But here's the thing. What Paul was doing was teaching what Jesus had established in the Old Testament as a model to teach them so that they would know when he came that they make that comparison, see, so well, that he'd be able to priest? do this. But the one high priest in, in the house of Israel was uh, due to the fact that they had rejected the law and they had the lesser law. So the Lord gave them this law where they only had the one high priest who went into the table, the temple once a year and did what he did in order to, because he said they had such a hard, hard heart. But uh, that's not the way it was before the days of Israel. Before the days of Israel, there were high priests uh, like Abraham, for instance. He, he never went into any temple. Uh, there were high priests like uh, a Melchizedek that Abraham paid his tithes to. There was Enoch. There was Noah. They were all high okay, priests. Where do you get that Noah, Enoch, and, uh, and Abraham were high priests? From modern revelation. From Joseph Smith. Yes. Okay, and so then he has subsequently passed on this form of this, this Melchizedek priesthood to make high priests now. Do you have any problem calling yourself a high priest Realizing how Hebrews describes Jesus as the great high priest. He is the great high priest, but this is the church that he said he would establish we if we that. wouldn't harden our hearts. So, so that's why. So, okay. All right. Uh, in your email to me, you described a mountain bike, I mean a mountain hike trip you took in 1965. And you described that in detail. It was arduous. Yeah, You were was. searching for truth. You described it in great detail. Did it really happen that way? Absolutely. Okay. So that was almost 50 years ago, and you gave me an account of you climbing the mountain, and it happened that way. 
Joseph Smith, when it came to describing his visit with God, gives us six, seven, eight, nine accounts, and they differ. And this was only within a few years of it supposedly happening. So how did you give me such a great detailed account of your hike that happened in 1965? And just now you said it absolutely happened that way. But Joseph says first there was a light, then he sees Jesus, then there's angels. Then it, it, it morphs over time to become God the Father in a body of flesh and bone with Jesus Christ standing above him in the air. How do you yeah. account for well, that? Well, we don't know if he didn't when he was in the presence of some of the ministers telling them when he was a young man what had happened to him that he didn't give them the whole story. Uh, he may have. It's just that we don't have a record of it. But the records and, uh, we do have are, are all different. Well, sometimes you tell a part of the story that my climbing the mountain wasn't anything. You know, can you imagine that you're living among a people who do not believe that there are prophets, who do not believe that God appears to people, and certainly don't believe that there is a father and a son separately, and, and to be able to tell them that story? And when, when he Wouldn't found, it be the same? Not if, perhaps it would have been, but maybe. I mean, God it, if the it was, Father was in a body of flesh and bone. He said unto me, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why didn't that come out in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth version of his, but it morphed over time as his ideas of God morphed. But see, those are the things that you can't tell because you don't have the person here. You, we don't know if we have part of the story or if we have part of the story wrong. We don't know any of that. We just have a record and we can only tell a certain amount. We can't know for sure the truth okay. about that. Now, here's something that we need to understand. The Lord says, when I told you that the church was going down, he talks about that in the Book of Mormon. He says that his servant will be marred because of the unbelief of the Gentiles, because when the gospel is declared to them, meaning the Book of Mormon is declared to them, they will not believe it. And because of their unbelief, then his servant, whose life is in his hands, will be marred. But he will heal him and show unto the children of men that his wisdom is greater than the cunning of the devil. And so when we look at a lot of this, what we have to... What does that mean relative to the first vision and there being different? That accounts? means that the cunning of the devil is involved because this work is true. So you're going to have the opposition, and we don't know what it is and, uh, and how it affects us, but the Lord says that as a result of it, the people wouldn't believe, and as a result of that, the church or the servant of the Lord would be marred. So, uh, you know, I, my faith is not based on these things, because I know you can't... Not. You, no, you so can't. Talk, you can't. Let's talk about your epistemology, which is oh. how we know things. Yeah, all right. Okay. When we pick up the Book of Mormon... Right. What is your faith based on, then? My faith in the Book of Mormon. No, your faith. My, my faith, faith in Jesus Christ. No, I, I, not in Jesus. You're just your faith in Mormonism. You're here representing all their, their tenets, okay. most of them, as true. Okay, what, but the mean? reason is, is because I believe the Book of Mormon is true, or I wouldn't be here. Okay. And the reason I believe that the Book of Mormon is true is because I'm overwhelmed with the power of the Spirit as I see Isaiah and the other Old Testament prophets, especially Isaiah, though, talking about the marvelous work and a wonder being fulfilled in those words in a marvelous way. And when I read those words, I feel... The testimony of, Je I know those words could, are true because I know no man, especially Joseph Smith, if he was the kind of character that is being portrayed here and elsewhere, that he would be able to understand the scripture so completely, okay. so sublimely, okay. and right. be able to put it all together as he did. So I know that's it's you. the voice of God that I hear okay. calling me all right. Good. when Doug, I read the book. Why is your 
voice of God calling you any different from the voice of God calling the guys who flew the planes into the Twin Towers? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if they even did. <laughs> but the, that's neither here well, nor well, there. Well, but my, forget the, them. This yeah, about the, 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 the Lord the, says the ele- his elect hear his okay. voice. That's the only okay. thing I can okay. tell you. So, so, but you say you're relying on testimony yeah. that you have of this book. And it has, a, I mean, there's quite a bit of substantiated evidence of where the product came from. You know, we're talking view of the Hebrews and all this other stuff. There's a lot of stuff in there, Doug, but I won't cover that. I just want to know, you say it's true, and so you know it's true. How, are you, how is your knowing different or better, superior to the Muslim or the, or the Buddhist? Well, you'd have to ask God that. He said that in the latter but days, gotta, he would... No, gotta, listen, you got to tell listen, me, Doug. I'm trying to tell you. No, you're, you're no, quoting no, God. No, tell no. me how, why yours is better. Why is yours superior? Because I hear the still, small voice. So do of, they. No, but they don't hear the still, okay. small voice. Uh, so, Doug It's hears. the God of Israel. Okay, well, God of Israel speaks to you, but not to other people who are devout. Speaks to millions. To, they are devout, Doug, mm-hmm. to, to their faith. Jews who will eat only certain things, devout to this God of Israel, who mock Mormonism. Why do you think that your epistemological experience, your metaphysical experience with reading this book that has dubious beginnings, why do you say that's the way? I just told you why I say it. I say it because I see the fulfillment of the Lord's work. I see his hand in it. I don't see that in the Quran. I don't see that in in uh, the but they see it the, well uh, they have their thing but we know that the jehovah of the lord in establishing zion in bringing forth the kingdom of god we know that is the truth you know that and i know that if we read in isaiah how uh, jerusalem is going to be rede- redeemed and the lord is going to uh, bring again zion and the and the watchman uh, are going to see eye to eye, and, and they're stuff, going to shout. All fulfilled in well, Christ. Yeah, that's what I'm telling all you. All fulfilled in Christ. Well, see, you you told me when we started this, you, you were going to respect what I, I am believe, but you're challenging me, I and I'm to, having to defend against your accusations. Because, listen, when, when you, you say, I know the Book of Mormon is true, this is the true truth, and you, you preach it, buddy. So you preach oh, it. Oh, absolutely. So you're not just giving me the answers, you're preaching it. Yes. So I have to say... Why is your, so what I'm trying to get at, The only Doug, thing I can tell you is you have to read the book, and then if you have questions, just okay. read it together. If, I'll show you, but I, I can't tell it. And I have, and I taught it in seminary. Well, well no, wait, what if I read it, and I don't get, I get the, the notion that it's wrong. Uh-huh. Am I, it's my problem again? Well, You're right, but I'm wrong? No, but we would take it verse by verse, yeah. all right, if you were standing there, but and you, we could talk about why I... Not you. That's fine. But why I take this okay, as the word of but, God. But you substantiate your proofs on nothing, is my point. No. Yeah, no. You're, you're substantiated on what you believe is prophetic fulfillment. But you're substantiating the whole thing is not based in any fact. This is my point. Epistemology. It is based in fact. What The fact is what? Fulfillment of what you think is prophecy? Uh, yeah, let me tell you why. Okay, Joseph Smith didn't write that book. What uh, we see is... What we see is that the Lord uh, declared in chapter 29 of Isaiah that he was going to set his hand again the second time. So I see that hand. I hear that voice. I rejoice because he's doing what he said he was going to do in order to fulfill the prophecies that were in the Old Testament. And I think they were in the New Testament at one time or among 
they had to be among the Christians. But uh, I see that, and I am just overwhelmed with the feeling. Could you be deluded? Well, of course, I, they could lock me up tomorrow. Maybe they will. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm telling you what I believe. When I read those words, when I see how much has come to pass that was prophesied in there, and how... Uh, but it came from the Bible. Of course it's going to come to no, pass. No, no, no. There's you many... quoting Isaiah. Of course it's going to come to pass. No. If, that, if you can show me another book, all right, that fulfills the prophecies of the Bible like this book does. Well, of course it does. Then, it's after the fact. They wrote the book after no, the fact. It's going to no, fulfill biblical prophecy. No, no you're, not, you're not understanding. The fullness of the gospel, Sean, yeah. is that Jesus Christ came forth, but he's also the king of Messiah. He's the king the of Bible Israel. The Bible preaches that plainly. I know. That's what I'm saying. So where is Jesus? Where is his hand to gather his people? You think, he's well... He's on his throne. Yeah, well, he's... He may be on his throne, but the important point is, is that he had other sheep that were not of that fold, and he visited them, and his whole plan becomes very clear when you read the Book of Mormon of how he's going to bring these great things to pass. Okay. And I mean, they're great. Right. They're great. They're great. Okay. They're great. All right, listen. Uh, let's keep going. All right. Uh, Mormonism says men are born children of God from the pre-existence. We actually sing a song. Join with me, will you? I am a child of God. Only because of Jesus. And he has sent me. Yeah, you got to pick it up. Has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear. Lead me, a guide me, a walk a beside me, a help me find the way. All right, that's the song. Now, let's bring up a verse, John 1, 11 through 13. This is really an important verse. In fact, we closed every heart of the matter with this verse. Talking about Jesus, it says, he came to his own, the Jews, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, so not, not humanly, nor of the will of the flesh, not by willpower, nor of the will of man, not by religion, but of God. That plainly says that we become children of God when we receive him, Doug. But Joseph says that we are born children of God. Explain. Well, uh, we were talking about uh, the revelation to Adam where he says, uh, the Lord says to Adam after he was baptized, you've become a son of God. Uh, of God, and thus all may become my sons. And so that's what he's talking about there. If when we're baptized and we follow the gospel, we become Christians, then we become the sons of God. And it's not clear what we are going to be, but uh, we will. We know that when we see him, we'll, we'll see as we are seen or something. Uh, can't quote that scripture exactly either, but that's what it means. There's, I, I love the Bible. It so plainly teaches right there. Uh, you know, it just says, look, at he, as many as receive him, they be, have the power to become the sons of God. Exactly. There's no preexistent at being born a child of God, and he has sent me here. That's a lie. It's an absolute, uh, it's a platonic lie. It started back with Hellenistic thought, and Joseph borrowed from that from Swedenborg and others. So, but we won't talk. Let's go on. The word of wisdom. You got to obey it to be worthy. Enter the temple. Jesus said, and I quote, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. W explain that to our audience. 
Well, uh, there are certain things that we need to do uh, to be uh, receptive to the Spirit of God. Uh, if, we're, if we're drinking excessively, if we're uh, in, uh, taking uh, things that are not good for our bodies and things... Free does? No, uh, well, yeah, probably. It's just about everything we eat now or drink is, is bad for our bodies. But these things that he mentions during, that existed during the, during the pioneer days, and uh, they didn't follow it exactly. They didn't understand it. But what he was saying was that we should... Uh, be obedient uh, to this. And I know it says it's not a commandment, but it was, that was the case back then. But it's evolved to be a commandment because our society is so, it has become so complex and so on that the brethren have decided that, that the people would enjoy better health and would be more sensitive and understanding to the direction of the Spirit if they didn't partake of these things. And so... Well, it may be, maybe somebody's going to prove someday it's not true. It seems like I've been around a long time, really, and I, I've seen, when we used to read newspapers, I would see reports come out of how bad coffee was for you. And then it wouldn't be too long after that, and there would be another report of how good it was for you. And same thing with wine and other Stop kinds of things. Up so. when these guys get going. I'm sorry. You oh, cracked me up well, with that stuff. I, Listen, I'm just trying to share to with you can what I believe. Can a man go to heaven if he drinks coffee? Of course he can go to the so heaven if he drinks coffee. Celestial kingdom become a god? I, th I think so. I think so. What but do Mormonism listen, teach? listen to me. If he does those things, though, and as a result of that uh, disobedience, right, he's not able to enter into the temple, then he wouldn't be able to go. So okay. they're standing there at the gateway saying that, hey, you need to keep this word of wisdom. Now, if the guy's not keeping it, he, he's, he's invited to go home and repent. And then when he's gone... So in other words, no. In other Long words... story short. No, he can't. It's the same thing as before with the altar. Okay. If you have a gift there and you want to... Uh, uh, you know, present it to the Lord, but you remember that something there that's not right in your life, then the Lord says, go take care of that. So coffee drinking would not be uh, right in your life. Oh, gee, I hate having to defend this. I know, things. it's a bad one because it's a bad, bad, bad teaching. <sighs> Let me give you a couple reasons okay. why, but before I do it, tell me, do you have to go by Joseph Smith uh, to enter into the celestial kingdom? Yes. Okay. So Jesus, again... There's a little addition here going on, and I'm so glad Doug says yes, because it's true, and it's doctrine. Uh, it's not talked about here. Is Joseph now mingling with gods? Is Joseph a god? Well, God's a ruler. See, then we don't define the term God enough. That, that simply means a ruler. So Is he mingling with gods? He's mingling with gods, yeah. Is he a god? But gods, well, no, that's, that's not okay. accomplished that's yet. That's fine. That's yeah. not accomplished yeah. yet. But Latter-day Saints believe that you will have to pass by Joseph Smith to enter into the celestial kingdom. It doesn't mean that you have to have an interview with Joseph Smith. It means you can't reject the Book of Mormon in his testimony and Joseph. say that you received Christ because it right. comes from him. That's what it means. It doesn't mean you're going to get up to heaven and That's go okay. into a room with a label on it that says Joseph Smith Got interviews it. or Got something. It. That's, That's not fine. it. But what it is is it does say that Jesus is not enough. No, it says... It does. It says that Jesus has set his hand again the second time. And if you won't okay, hear his call... At, you're, you're just putting that up there. But bottom line, you have to that's admit... That's the Doug, belief. G, you, the, with Mormons, it's the belief. But the Mormons believe 
Jesus and what he did is not enough because you have to pass by Joseph. Is that true or not? No, the, 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 you cannot reject the testimony uh, of Jesus Christ that he gave Joseph. That's a better way to put it. Okay, but Joseph is the one who received it, so therefore yeah. you, he is part of the of He's the, part of it. Of yeah, you can say that. He, he, because he's a prophet. Now, You're, that's you know, we don't see that in the Bible. We don't understand that from the Bible. But the fact is that the testimony that comes forth from the Book of Mormon came forth by Joseph Smith. So if you say that you reject Joseph Smith as a prophet of God, then you reject, and you don't accept the Book of Mormon, then you're rejecting the hand of God himself, Jesus Christ himself, who is doing the work at the, okay. at the behest so of when, the Father. So when I went before my stake president in Huntington Beach, and I said, I want to come back to the LDS church, he said, great. I said, I'll take down my website. That's fantastic. I'll, I'll stop my books. That's great. I said, but I, you know, I, I'm just going to teach and believe in Jesus. I'll not despair Joseph. I won't promote him, though. Uh, I'm just going to teach what Jesus did on the cross in his life in bringing about salvation of man, and I, that I am firmly uh, committed, and Mormonism says they're Christian. That is my witness. Can I come in? And he said, no, he was right. He was right. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Very good. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, we're almost done, Doug. <laughs> I feel like we're going through a, quite an exam. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that word of wisdom thing. I, sorry, I got off on it. The, the Bible, the New Testament, is particularly clear with, with Paul of what the law does. The law, it brings out the worst in people. It doesn't bring out the best. The reason is, is because when you post a law, you shall not drink coffee. Those who follow that feel proud because they don't drink coffee. And those who do smoke and come into the chapel, uh, they're being looked down upon by, the proud, by mm -hmm. the proud. And then the ones who are smoking and drinking, they're breaking that posted law, mm -hmm. so they're sinful. Mm -hmm. So the law, Paul says, it destroys. Mm -hmm. Don't you, do you see that when it comes to, and, and admittedly, within the saints in general, isn't there a preponderance of focus on who keeps the law? Who is temple worthy? And, and don't they get elevated and promoted while the lowly who, who can't overcome the addiction to tobacco don't get promoted and, and jobs and, and things like that? Promoted in the, in the uh, leadership of the church. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay. We have a lot of calls. Steve in Spanish Fork. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Steve? Stephen. All right, let's go to John. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, this is John in San Antonio. Hi. I'm so glad you have uh, your guest on because he's actually honest, and it's yeah. so rare to get honest answers from LDS people. They do we kind of like a reverse the Sorry. Where they distort what the church says in order to defend it. Anyway, I have a question for him. He said a number of things that are coded language that I have heard in a subset of Mormons who believe in Denver Snuffer and his teachings. Yes. And I just want to ask your guest if he's aware of Denver Snuffer and if he believes that Denver Snuffer's opinion about the state of the church now uh, is true. Before you do, John, how do you know Denver Snuffer? He's a dude from Sandy out here. Denver, well, he's written several books, and he actually has a lot of LDS followers all around the nation. Okay, go ahead. So very... I, I have a very good friend who, um, who 
you know, believes very fondly in him. Good question, John. Uh, I, you know, he's been excommunicated, of course, here uh, just recently. And I listen to a lot of things that he says. And, you know, I think he makes sense in some ways. But I see people that are really following him. Now, he's think, some of them are thinking that Denver Snuffer is going to be the prophet, the, the, the strong, what is it? The oh, might, yeah, strong my, and might, mighty yeah. and strong one or whatever that is to come and set the church straight and so on. And, and uh, I, I, I don't think that. He has some views about the fullness of the priesthood and, and how that it doesn't matter uh, really what uh, the church actually does because they don't have the fullness of the priesthood and he does and he's seen Jesus and so on. So Snuffer's uh, a really interesting writer. He does have some really good insights. He does, he does, but uh, I don't put any stock in what he says. Okay. Okay, so you're not a Snuffer follower. So the, the second part of the question is, as a, a conventional Mormon then, do you believe that Mormons can have confidence in prophets not to teach false doctrine? Oh, boy. Uh, yes, I think they can have confidence that the brethren uh, aren't going to lead them astray. I, I believe that. Because okay. uh, Joseph Smith, in the King Follett Discourse, when he was talking about teaching about the true character of God, said, if I fail to do it, it becomes my duty to renounce all further pretensions to revelations and inspirations or to be a prophet, and I should be like the rest of the world, a false teacher. And so I think this concept of trusting your prophets to not teach false doctrine is essential to the, um, you know, the identity of a prophet in Mormondom. So with that in mind, uh, the church has recently been disavowing things that prior prophets go, have said was doctrine, specifically go, the theories about race and the priesthood. And then in uh, McConkie disavowed the Adam God teachings of Brigham Young, calling them heresy. And so how do you reconcile that notion of being able to trust prophets not to teach false doctrine with these clear changes on things that prior prophets have called doctrine. Boy, that's a tough one. Uh, it's really hard. I groaned like crazy when I heard this come out because uh, I knew these questions would come up. I didn't realize they would come up on your show, <laughs> but, but I knew that they would come up. And so I told my wife, you know, boy, this is just getting tougher and tougher. It's like being in a boiling pot. You know, the water's getting hotter and hotter. When do we jump out kind of thing? But I know that the prophet of Joseph Smith, the prophet Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God. I don't just say that as a mantra. I know that's true. And I also know that these difficulties come because of the weaknesses of men. I think if we knew uh, about all, the, if we had the entire record of the prophets uh, that we know about in the, in the Bible, we would see the same thing, for instance. And this is not really on the same level, but it's an example. When Peter dissembled, and didn't want to be associated with the Gentiles, right? When Paul came in, see? And the brethren came in. Paul and, took him to task. And Paul took him to task, you know? And here's the leader of the church. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're men, and, and they're born into this thing, and then they grow, and, and they're, you know, I, I'm not, well, I guess what I said earlier, they have to be accountable for their stewardship, all right? If they, so it sounds like the answer then is that, that members cannot have confidence that, their leaders will not teach false prophets. Because, no, uh, false no because I'm, I'm not saying that. They may be falling to this weakness. I'm not saying that. I'm saying all prophets 
uh, are men and they have their weaknesses, but I put my trust and confidence in the brethren. That's see, that's why they have 12 of them. They're doing what they wanted, what they feel is right. And, uh, and I sustain them 100%. Now, uh, you know, when they come out with something and it seems difficult for us to sustain that, I don't care. I sustain them anyway. I don't think it's leading us to hell because, uh, again, uh, I have this light that Joseph was a prophet of God. But it did and the Book of Mormon is true. an awful lot of prejudice against black people. Yeah, it the had Mormon all church. kinds of problems. And that could have led some people who had hate in their heart to hell, couldn't it? It could have, maybe. I don't yeah, know. It gave sanction to racism, and that, yeah. that's a big yeah, problem. But so see, racism is different they, now than it was in, in their day. They were really accused for being racist because they stood up for slaves in those days as well. And so we got to remember that. But uh, when, you know, some of the things that break me... Joseph Smith wrote a letter to Aubrey Cowdery, and it's in the history of the church, and he gave scriptural justification for slavery, and he cited a number of things, including Abraham's ownership of slave and the inclusion of rules about slavery in the Mosaic Law. There you go. so Joseph Smith believed that slavery was of divine origin. He just thought that it maybe wasn't, you know, the best thing, but exactly. it was a thing of Thanks. God. Now, if you look at contemporaries of Joseph Smith, they rejected those arguments. So the, the racism started with Joseph Smith, despite what the church... Oh, in the church. Said. You mean racism in the church. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, now, well... Uh, the, yeah. Last, the last thing, just real okay. quick, is you, you say that your testimony in Joseph Smith is based on your feelings and, and your experience with the Holy Ghost in the Book of Mormon, and you don't feel those things for the Quran, and that, that's fine, but... Just when you look at all of the hundred, you know, over a hundred sects of Mormonism, all of them use the Book of Mormon, all of them use Moroni's test to try to bind the people that they are having investigate their faith to whichever particular flavor of Mormonism that they go to. So if your experience, your feelings with the Book of Mormon tie you to the mainstream LDS church, how do you explain other people using the same test, the same Book of Mormon, the same burning in their bosom, and the Holy Ghost binding them to the FLDS or to the Apostolic United Brethren or other sects? Well, that's, again, very tough questions. But the thing is, is that when I say it's not just a, a burning in the bosom. I mean, oh, I put my hand on the Book of Mormon and say, yeah, it's the Word of God. It's not that. It's what it says. And one of the things that it says is that if the Gentiles, and it talks about the Gentiles in the House of Israel and all the things that we're involved in today that are very important, and it says that in, if the Gentiles will soften their hearts, will not harden their hearts, he will establish his church among them. He didn't say he would establish 15 churches. He didn't say uh, that he would, uh, you know, let people choose between different churches that he established. He would establish his church among the Gentiles. And I believe with all my heart that this is that church. John, your questions are exceptional. I, 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 don't, I don't think... Uh, 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 Doug necessarily answered that last one. It's a good one because, yeah. uh, you know, they all use the Book of Mormon and they all have the They testimony. all use the Book of Mormon, but they don't all understand the Book of Mormon. And like so I again, said, it's, it's, there's you got one. got it and they don't. Yeah, it's the same with you in the Bible. You got it and they don't. Okay. Uh, all right. right. John, excellent mind. You're, you're a worthy opponent, man. Uh, if I ever <laughs> die, in fact, even before I die, come do this. Love you, brother. Thanks. All right. Take care. It's good to hear you, Ken. Bye-bye. Let's go. Sorry, we're going to Chris in Dallas, Texas. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. Um, I called last week, and right at the end of the show, I had asked about 
you know, the infinite number of gods that exist and everything. And I felt like the answer got kind of skirted. And so I just maybe wanted to see if uh, Doug would touch on that for a second. Yeah, but I did it on Facebook. Also, I'd love to hear, Doug, if there were something that happened, if Joseph Smith had invented a video camera and you, we discovered a long-lost video and you could see some hard evidence that cannot be denied that he was not a true prophet, uh, would you leave the LDS church? Would you become a Christian? What would you do? Well, I definitely... Is there anything you can think of that challenges your faith to the point that you would think about leaving the LDS church? What, what is that? There isn't anything that, other than what you're saying, indisputable proof, but there's no indisputable proof that I've been shown. And, and see, honestly, Chris, again, the thing to me is that I, the proof that I have, the Lord said the Book of Mormon came uh, in order that he would prove to many, he said, that said, uh, a Bible, a Bible, we have a Bible, we need no more Bible. He says, uh, talks about the, the reason why these second, the, these other testimonies are coming forth. And he says, and the reason is, is that he may prove to many. He doesn't prove to everybody, but that he, uh, the Lord, may prove to many that he is the same yesterday uh, and forever. And so that's what he's done to me, Chris. He's proven that to me. And what so can I, I do? I, I, I'd have to I understand that. But I mean, yeah. if you could imagine something, something that would make you leave the church, I mean, just, just pretend, well, then could you, uh, what would you do? I mean, would you leave the oldest church? Would you be a Christian? I, would you forsake <laughs> it all? Would you say, well, this is wrong, you know, Christianity, all of this. I love the Latter-day Saint doctrine. I, to me, the Christian doctrine is cut off at both ends like a piece of dough in an IT&T bakery, as Hubie Nibley used to put it. I, it, it's not, I would not become uh, a Sean, or I would not become a Chris, or I would not become a Tina from Logan that we were talking back and forth today. Uh, I understand, and I appreciate them, and I pray for them, and I want to help them understand what I understand. But, but to me, there's no way that this could not be true. It's just impossible. It's tremendous. Great, great, great response. Great uh, question, Chris. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye. we got to be quick bye. now because we're running out of time. Uh, we're going to Marie. Marie, you got to be quick, my sister. Um, well, I kind of do. Um, hi to everybody on the Internet. I've been waiting forever to get on. But um, when I was 15, I was raped, and I had a bishop. Or I'm going to try and do this without crying. I had a bishop who, um, when I was at BYU, he refused to give me my recommend because he said that I was sinning in the act, one, because I didn't fight back because the man said he would kill me, and two, um, because I have PTSD and I still remember what happened. In what book, in what doctrine does it say that it is my fault for somebody else's action? Oh, it just breaks my heart that that would be a position that a bishop in the church takes. But uh, they do that also in in Christian churches. It's it's wide it's widespread. It's not. I can't. Forgiveness. It even says that it would have been better for somebody to die than to survive and lose their virtue. Yeah, because it's so devastating, lifelong. Uh, the only thing I, I didn't, I didn't make a sin. I, 
I didn't. I am clean before yeah. God. It's not my fault. Absolutely. I shouldn't have to repent for that. No, you're right. Absolutely. The bishop was totally wrong. I would like to shoot bishops like that. What about Spencer W. Kimball? What about him? And the miracle of forgiveness. What about him? He said, they, if someone is going to be raped, you better that they, they end their life before uh, suffering. Well, he was, he was putting a value on, on uh, chastity oh, and virtue, but he wasn't doing what she was saying that bishop was doing. Well, no, I've got the book right here in pages 196. It says, there is no condemnation when there is no voluntary participation. Absolutely. I, didn't participate, but I laid there. I let him oh, do what he had to uh, do, so I didn't die. What do you die. do with that, Doug? It oh, it's better gee, to die you know, and that's, one virtue that's, than to live. That's why we're grateful that we... a struggle. Yeah, uh, it's... Monopoly. Yeah, it's absolutely true. You do not have any guilt, and the Lord knows that. And he's perfectly just, and he's perfectly merciful. We're not talking and, about that, Doug. She's well, we're talking, talking about Christ, you know and that's what, what she... No, we're not. We're talking about Mormonism, and we're talking about oh. a girl here who, under your leaders that you swear allegiance to, have done so much damn damage, and you're sitting there, and you're preaching Christ. Why don't you just answer the question? Spencer W. Kimball's book was a piece of trash. It Why wasn't. Oh, I, I disagree totally. Okay, hey, listen, Marie, I hope you are walking with the Lord and you have discovered him. Have you? I love Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and my Savior forever. Hallelujah. Praise God, my sister. We love you. Thank you. My point, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. My point, Sean, was that that's common across all Christian churches you know as well. If, if, a Christ, if Billy Graham wrote a book like Spencer W. Kimball uh, did, writing the, the Christian uh, community, uh, Bible-believing Christians would throw them to the curb. You guys won't throw your leaders to the curb. You give blind allegiance to them because they've been promoted up the ranks because they've kissed ass the whole way. And it's sick to watch a man like you who loves the Lord, obviously. I would never question your love for the Lord. But you you, you, you defend. You say it's the way we do it. You say all this. I have, did not. You did. You say I didn't defend that bishop. We follow. What are you talking not about? You're bishop, switching, I'm, you're I'm switching from her story with Spencer that bishop to Spencer W. Kimball. I have no idea. He wrote the book. About. She's quoting the book, man. Well, she's quoting you the book, but good what book, did she quote? What did she quote? She didn't quote anything bad. All right. Did she? All right. Yes, yeah, she did. What did she quote? Maybe he I missed it. She said, you are, there is no guilt in you. Yes. If you put up resistance. Well, but, but what he means is what he that means. you don't participate. What he means is what he wrote. Oh my gosh. The book is heinous. Oh. And we see the results of it with girls like that. Oh. I, Doug, I understand. I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying this stuff, this is one story. There are a thousand in the big city, and there are a lot of big cities that have Mormons in them. Let's go to Gary Casper, Wyoming. We've got to be quick. Gary, you got to be quick. I'm sorry. Hello? Gary, you're on the air. <clears throat> yeah, Doug, i got a question for you. Do you believe Jesus did, or uh, Joseph Smith did uh, more works than uh, Jesus did? No, no, no. That That is a distortion. He was not bragging. Come on, you guys. Uh, listen, let's go to, sorry, let's go to uh, line four. It says, Brandon, we're going to Gail and Vernal. Gail, you're the last caller. Thank you. You're on the air. I have a question for your guest. Yes. Uh, go, go, Gail. Hi. What My question is for your guest. I'm talking about the Book of Mormon. Lehi left Jerusalem 
as a very righteous chosen man. He sailed the ocean blue. She's listening to her. And when he came to the Americas, why did he not bring the Torah? Why did they not participate in any of the um, feasts that were required by all of the Jewish people? We don't know whether he did or he didn't. We don't have the full record. Sorry, Gail. Gail, thank you so much. That's a great question. And so the answer with that is that there's a sealed portion, and maybe that says they brought the well, Torah. I don't think it's in the because that didn't. Pre okay. Yeah. It's not in the sealed portion. We don't have the full record. It was an abridgment. It was. Yeah. Listen, uh, I, I want to reiterate something really important here. This took guts, and and uh, it, yeah. And I respect uh, this man, not for his beliefs. I, I hate his doctrine, uh, except the ones that pertain to Christ. But I love his honesty, and I love his willingness to come on this program uh, because everybody else either hates it, skirts it, mocks it, but he came and defended his faith. And, uh, and that says a lot. I'm not, I would never, ever embrace uh, Mormonism or its theology, but I would embrace Doug as my neighbor, as my friend, as someone who I love, as someone who is probably, when we are put on a scale, uh, is the only person in, in, on earth who outweighs me in faith and in and, and, and love. He's a man who has character. And, and so we can't besmirch the messenger, his doctrine, certainly. But the messenger is a human being with a family he's been devoted to, a wife and children. He belongs to a church we don't agree with. But this took guts, and so I just want to thank you very much. And if I got strong with you, I apologize. Okay. All right, are we out of time? Three minutes. Okay, last thing. One minute. Doug, I got, you got 30 seconds, and then I get the last 30. Go. Okay, well, I really appreciate the words of Sean, and I've uh, for a long time recognized his heart. His heart is genuine, and that's why I agreed to come on the program. Dave Bartosowitz's heart is genuine, but I cannot help I cannot deny what I know, that the prophet of, of God was Joseph Smith in restoring the gospel of Jesus Christ that's contained in the fullness of the gospel, uh, that contains the fullness of the gospel that the Lord sent forth from the earth to testify that Jesus is his only begotten son and rose from the dead and that all men will rise from the dead. And I just want to say that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. When he said, it is finished, it was done. And he himself paved the way. No man comes between any Christian and God. Jesus Christ paved the way. He's our mediator. He is the source of my salvation. And I look to see how this will all play out in the end. We will see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. <laughs> Thank you. Love you, man. Appreciate you coming. Okay, so we're done, right? We're done. <laughs> don't come don't come wandering in here next week. No.